Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, podcast listener. Even though you're hearing this recorded show, you can still call us whenever you want. one 929 Our voicemail will take your call. Later, we'll listen to it just as we listen to all of them. And then there's always a chance that we'll decide to have you on the show to ask your question or share your story. On with the show. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Most of us tend to keep the names that were given at birth. But with pets, it's kind of a different story. Sometimes animals take time to tell you their names. When my partner and I adopted a little white Maltese poodle mix, it was hard for us to settle on one name. Her previous owner called her Mitzi, but we didn't like that. And then for a while, we were going back and forth between the names Daisy and Lily. And both of those names kind of reflect her sunny personality and the fact that she's tiny and delicate. In fact, Mm. she's so tiny, Grant, that for a while there we were going to call her Cucaracha, but we (laughs) we decided against that. But she's about that big. And it actually took us a whole month before we decided on the name Lily. And I think that that was really mainly just because it tripped off the tongue more easily when you wanted to say, Mm. Lily, no! You know what I mean? But it yeah, struck yeah. me, Grant, that in contrast to human names, a pet's name is often a work in progress and sometimes oh, for quite yeah. a while. Did you have that experience? We did have that. When we lived in the country, we were given a dog by neighbors. It was a, a beautiful Great Pyrenees. These are big, white, furry animals. Oh, yeah. Just they're gigantic. Gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they called her Bandy, B-A-N-D-Y. And this is from the Mo Bandy song, Bandy the Rodeo Clown. Mm, you know this song? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> it's a song about a guy who's a rodeo clown. And, and so they thought she had hip dysplasia, and this is where she w- makes her walk kind of funny. And uh, so <laughs> they thought she looked like a clown, so they called her Bandy the Rodeo Clown. Oh, Bandy for short. Bandy-legged. And so we got this dog, beautiful animal, a rascal, though. I mean, she, she could smell the neighbor's rabbits a mile off and was constantly going down there to worry the rabbits. Uh-oh. My mother decided to call her Bambi instead. And I... <laughs> Yeah, because it's close to Bandy, so the dog isn't overly confused, but it's not this, like, it's not this awkward, weird name, you know? Bambi. Oh, shoot. Again, she was far from, she was far from docile. She was not a sweet little doe. No. Well, yeah, and Bambi for a great Pyrenees. Why didn't you just call her Fifi or something? <laughs> yeah, that is not a dog you call Cucaracha. You call her Bull Elephant. <laughs> she, she was big and ornery and, and as sweet as pie when she was your buddy, so. But it is funny, isn't it? The way that their names can go through so many different changes through life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, it, it didn't stop at Bambi. It became Bam, you know? Well, yeah. It, it, it's Nicknames. always the yeah. Sh- yeah the shortening happens and the other things and yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Good. it's good. Well, if you want to talk about your pet's name change or maybe your pet peeve about language, call us. We're here to talk about words and phrases, grammar, old family sayings, and slang. One eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Yoko, calling from San Diego. Hi, Hi Yoko. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What can we do for you? Yeah, um, I heard a few weeks ago on your program that uh, there was an ex- expression of happy like a clam. Mm-hmm. Um wanted to know like how that expression came about because for me as a as a, a native Japanese speaker, clams don't really talk or laugh. We We use the word clam in a different colloquial way. You do? Yeah. How do you use it? Well, um... Be a clam or become a clam means you would be um, like a uh, um, dormant or uh, you don't speak at all. Um, but I often use a term, I slept like a clam, uh-huh. um, which is, I guess, the equivalent of sleep like a log. Oh, okay. And so, in Japanese, you sleep like a clam? Well, it's actually the more of a I guess it's a very casual, colloquial way of saying it. it the correct term of, of equivalent of sleep, sleep like a log is sleep like mud, 
but oh really <laughs> yeah but i i um what happened was one time i was talking to my my husband uh, who's american um and uh, i i said oh i slept like really well last night i slept like a clam and he just had this really blank stare. <laughs> he was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know, I slept really well. And he's like, oh, sleep like a log. Yeah, yeah. So um, it seems like, I, I, I mean, for me, sleep like a clam seems really makes sense because, you know, they are under the ocean and mm-hmm. don't really move around and kind of, you know, happily sleeping. Yeah, it's dark in there. <laughs> but happy like a clam doesn't really make sense to me, and I wanted to find out what maybe the origin of that. Oh, yeah, we can help you with that. Sure, okay. absolutely. But I tell you, Yoko, I'm dying to know what it sounds like in Japanese to say, I, I slept like a clam. Kai mitai ni nemutta. Oh, Oh, it's melodic even. (laughs) You're absolutely right. It doesn't make sense. But the truth is that it's a shortened version of the phrase, happy as a clam at high tide. Right. That makes sense. But he's buried in the sand. He's under the water. He's he's feeding himself, right? Because there's water covering his shell. Uh So he's Uh he's happy, right? And he's safe. Yeah, nobody can dig him up because Uh, it's high tide. Okay, okay. Makes sense. So it's not like a clam is laughing or something. It's just sort of contentness. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's just a shortened version of Happy as a Clam at High Tide. Okay. But um, I I love hearing your um, your version of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my husband is now used to me giving lots of... English expression that came from a Japanese saying. Oh, yeah? Give us some more. I'd love <laughs> to hear yeah, some. How do you say uh, that you're very happy? What's the idiom for very happy in Japanese? I, I'm not sure what no. what I would say, but the, the the expression I use a lot, and now my husband is learning, is um, I often say such and such is uh, small as cat's forehead. <laughs> small as a cat's forehead. Yeah, when you talk about a little land, small, small patch of land, uh-huh. um, because cat has a really small forehead. Uh, there's a there's a Japanese expression called uh, it's it's uh, it's 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 a small as cat's forehead. I love that. <laughs> and what is that in Japanese? Neko no hitai hodo chisai. Love it. Love Very it. Very good. Well, Yoko, thank you so much for calling and sharing so this stuff with us. Yeah, you okay. enriched our conversation. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Arigato. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, if you speak English as a second or third or fourth language, we'd love to hear some of the expressions that you use to enrich conversation. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Good morning. This is Steve Barrett in San Diego. Hello, Steve. Welcome. Hi, Steve. Greetings. Um, I've had a fascination always with the last word in the dictionary since I was very young, and I've discovered that uh, in every dictionary I've checked, it was always different. Uh (laughs) Were you checking Spanish and Dutch and Russian or something? uh, No, no, no. I was just checking English dictionaries, Uh uh, going all the way back to a dictionary my grandmother had, an 1844 pocket dictionary. Oh, nice. What's the last word of that dictionary? What'd you find? The last word in this dictionary is zootomy. Zootomy? Yeah. So this is a zootomy. This is like when you you cut the zoo out of the picture. What is that? (laughs) (laughs) According to this dictionary, it's a dissection of the bodies of brute beasts. Okay, zootomy, sure, of course. Of brute beasts. Whoa, this is the surgery on professional wrestlers. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like it should be in a limerick. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the question is, uh, you're, so you're, you're checking all these dictionaries, looking at the last word. It's a bit of an asep- obsession for you, it sounds like, yeah, right? Yeah, a bit, yeah. Nice. Yeah, and so what other final words have you come across? Well, the one that I have found that I have not been able to beat was in my dad's Winston Collegiate Dictionary from 1945. Okay. And that word was Zythum, Z-Y-T-H-U-M. Mm-hmm. And what is that? That is an ancient Egyptian malt liquor. <laughs> nice. The Egyptians sitting on the stoop with the 40. That's, that's fantastic. A little pop top. Okay, so, but you know what? I can beat that. You can. I can. Okay. And actually, I can beat it. I have four 
other words that are alphabetically after that, after Zythum. Zythum is Z-Y-T-H-U-M, right? Yes. Okay. Wow, you ready for this, Steve? I'm ready. I've got my pencil out. Okay. And, and the whole problem with this exercise, let's just say this now, is that we're not talking about common words, okay? We're just talking about <laughs> any word that anyone ever, anywhere has accepted as English of any kind. Hey, I buy Zythum all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's a brand name just waiting to be taken, right? Right next to, Absolutely. Right next to the eight yeah. ball, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, um, what are your big four, Grant? Here we go. I don't, I'm not sure how to say these, but I'm going to try them. This one, I believe, is Zixama. Z-Y-X-O-M-M-A, and it's a type of Indian dragonfly. Okay. <laughs> Where'd you com- find it that? Com- it comes from Greek. It's in the Century Dictionary and a couple other dictionaries. Okay. Okay, here's the next one for you, Steve. Okay. Ready? Z-Y-X-T. Zixt. And this is an obsolete... Um, Kentish word. This Kentish is a dialect of the language is spoken in the British Isles. It's the second person singular indicative present of the verb to see, (laughs) S-E-E. Gesundheit. (laughs) (laughs) And for a long time, it was the last word in the Oxford English Dictionary. Right, but it's not in the online version. Why did they take it out? Well, it's one of those words I believe is a pass-along word. It was collected once I think uh-huh. in Northumberland in a, a glossary, and so all the dictionaries of of the era, since they just rip each other off, took it and added it to their own dictionaries, and in that way it was propagated. And I think once you start to look at the word, you start to realize that it it, it really doesn't deserve to be, have a place in an English dictionary. Oh, so, yeah. But in any case, it's in, it is in some of them. Here you go. Two more. Z y z z y v a ziziva ziziva, and this is a a type of tropical American weevil. And it's a genus name as well for the for those types of weevils, and uh, they 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 destroy plants and the like. So ziziva, z y z z y v a, and I believe this is the last one in the American Heritage Dictionary. I, I think it is, and I think it's probably onomatopoetic, right? Ziziva, little weevil. Uh, I love the word. That is a great word, and actually, I believe there's a, a literary journal of that name, just because it's such a fantastic word, and also because it tends to be last in the dictionary. Okay, you got that one, Steve. I Ziziva. got that one, okay. and there's one and more, huh? This one is more. the one which causes the most dispute. Is this the random house word? I don't know. It's in Encarta. It's in Cambridge. It's in Webster's New World. Okay, drum roll. <laughs> Z, Z, Z. It's the automatopoeic sound for sleep. Oh. I'll be darned. <laughs> oh, that's cheating. And they'll see, there we go. It causes dispute. The thing is, do you allow it? And yet, I can read books that use it. I see it in comic strips and cartoons. Yeah. I mean, I see it in speech bubbles in a variety of different places. That's it's true. in songs, even. Yeah. That's what do you true. think, Steve? Do you think I mean, we should we, allow that one? We can say one? it. We well, can say it, we can write it, and it has meaning. It's a word. Steve, what do you think? Unless you use the blank tiles, it'll never fit into Scrabble. <laughs> <laughs> Good no, point. Not, I know, I'm not sure it's allowed by the Scrabble dictionary, but I'm sure there's some Scrabble experts going, actually, I've used, I used that in part of my winning <laughs> game last week. Doggone. Well, I'll be darned. There's four more. See what you've done, Steve. Steve, <laughs> thank you so much for calling. This, this was fun. Oh, thank you for having me on. Our okay. pleasure. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Bye. If you're not zuzzing right now, give us a call one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us email to words at waywardradio.org. Coming up, the language referees solve more of your language disputes. Stay tuned. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined once again by our quiz guy, Greg Pliska. Hello, Greg. Hello, Grant. Hello, Martha. Hello, what's Greg. cooking, buddy? Uh, what's cooking? I just, I'm making some pasta, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A little little red sauce on that. Some cheese. A little red sauce. You yeah, boiling exactly. it? Do you use the cheese that comes in the green can, or do you, do you, do you grate your own? I grate my own. Oh, I have to admit, good. I'm a cheese snob when it comes to that. Pecorino or Romano? A little of both, actually. I got a little Parmesan. I've got some Romano. Do you have a quiz in there somewhere amongst your (laughs) recipes and your spoons? (laughs) I do, and it's not about cheese. Thank goodness. We're tired of those cheese quizzes. Oh, I was all ready for it. (laughs) I'll do cheese next week. Okay. It's a little, you know, it's it's very topical. You know, Apple's latest uh, big thing is the iPad. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Grant is looking up the answers on his iPad right now. No, Uh, no. I'm not going to buy one. He's not an uh, iPad kind of guy. 
you know, it's predicted to change our lives forever, like everything else. And and before that, we had the iPod, the iMac, the mm-hmm. iPhone, and and so on. So mm-hmm. I've got a little quiz that I call Idition. Okay. okay. You're going to take a word, add an I to it, as if you were creating an Apple product, and get mm-hmm. a new word. Okay. Okay. And does the I always go at the beginning? I always goes at the beginning. Yes. Very good okay. question. For example, if I gave you the clue, the button that starts up your iPad, you would give me a word starting with I. Mm-hmm. Ignition? Ion. Ion. Oh, the, Ion. <laughs> the on button with an I in front. It's the okay, Ion. Okay, great. Okay. All right. Does that okay. make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's your first one. Okay. This is when you try to buy an iPod at an auction. I bid. Ibid. Ibid. Yeah, I bid. Ibid. I bid. Yes. Okay, so it doesn't have to be a long eye. Well, you know, not in that case, but okay. in many of them, yes. Ibid. Try to, we might have to massage pronunciation a little bit here and there. Okay. Uh, this is how Steve Jobs begins a card game. Ideal. Ideal, exactly. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> Because uh, I shuffled, it, it's already been taken, right? Exactly, exactly. You have to have an ideal before you can, after you have your eye shuffle. Um, this is a scam in which someone tries to sell you a fake Apple product. A scam, a fake Apple product. I bogus. I hmm. I um, fraud. I hoax. I rip off. I rip. <laughs> you're starting with a three-letter I- word, and you're going to make a four-letter word. Iris. Con. Icon. Icon. Oh, that should have been easy. There you go. It's a con. It's an icon. All right. Your next one is how much Steve Jobs charges per hour. For this advertisement? I don't know. What are we getting for this? <laughs> um, we'll take trade. Um, Irate. I rate. I oh, rate, very good. exactly. Very good. The rate per hour. Okay. The next few of these are all phonetic, which means you're going to add an I and take the sound of the original word, but it, the spelling won't necessarily uh, oh, transfer exactly. Harder. harder. Okay, this is uh, Apple's new farming tool. <laughs> I hope. I. Hi, <laughs> 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 comma. Um. Yeah. <laughs> um New farming tool, so I rake, rake or hoe or plow or something you use to cut down a lot of wheat. I sigh. I I um, icicle. Icicle. There you go. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. This one is how the number five would be written on a Roman iPad. IV. IV. Ah, there we go. IV. Here are a couple more that are phonetic, and they don't even start with the letter I. They just start with the sound I. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, this is how Steve Jobs whips his employees into shape. Um, and whip is the important word I there. I crack. I, I flagellate. <laughs> I <laughs> I crack. I... I bullwhip. When right. when you know when you get in trouble, someone's going to give you thirty lashes. lashes. Oh, eyelashes! Very good. Eyelashes. Yes. Uh, this is the kind of boat that Apple employees go on when they go on vacation. Eyeliner. Eyeliner. Exactly. Eyeliner. 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 Yeah. Okay. And this is uh, discomfort caused by using an Apple product. Discomfort. Eye strain. Oh, very well, good. Yeah, That's yeah, good. That <laughs> no, kind of work. works. Yeah, it works. I was thinking Something of uh, another kind. I was thinking of eyesore. Oh, oh eyesore. Okay, yeah, sure. Very good. Either one works. This is what you drink out of when you go over to Steve's house for a cocktail. Uh, um, retired Mac SE 30s. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm a guy. Eyeglass, eye tumbler, eye... Eyeglass. You, you have yeah. eyeglasses. Eye yeah. Oh, hello. Eyeglasses. Exactly. exactly. Eye now, this last one starts with an eye, but it's uh, phonetic as the earlier ones were. Okay. This is what you can get sued for if you publicly defame an Apple product. Oh. <laughs> is it a person in the North Atlantic? 
It is, yes. <laughs> An Icelander? Icelander, exactly. Icelander, very nice. <laughs> That's great, Greg. Thank you. Well, if you have a question about wordplay or language or grammar or slang or regional dialects, give us a call, 1-877-929-9673. That's one eight seven seven wayward or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name's Elizabeth Bushman, and I'm calling from the thriving metropolis of Princeton, Texas. Well, hello, Elizabeth. Welcome to the program. It's thriving. What goes on in Princeton? Uh, not much. It's pretty small, actually. They're too busy thriving. Exactly. Right. <laughs> well, if you've got a stoplight in a drugstore, then it's a town, right? Well, exactly. And we even have a McDonald's, so we're doing pretty good. Okay. okay. Good. Gas good. station? I, I grew up in towns like that in Missouri. I'm completely with you here. Right. Well, I have a question, and I'm hoping that you guys can give me some insight. My father grew up in Snowflake, Arizona, and he was the youngest of eight children. He's been gone now for about 20 years, but we still keep him very much alive in our sayings. And one of the things that his family used to do at the end of a meal, when asked if they would want more food, they would say, I am sufficiently saffonsified. Anything more would be purely obnoxious to my taste. No, thank you. (laughs) Now, he swore up and down that saffonsified was a word, but we've researched it. I've talked to many references librarians, consulted many dictionaries, and we haven't been able to find the word, and I was hoping you could help me track it down. Saffonsified. Can you say that line again, please? Well, he would say, I am sufficiently saffonsified. Anything more would be purely obnoxious to my taste. No, thank you. Oh, yeah, I love that. Oh, and that's yeah. a no, right? <laughs> All <laughs> that means no. <laughs> exactly. And so did he have a particular look about him? Did it look like he was, did he like change his attitude or his recompose his face when he said this? I mean, was it just the words or was there something else going along with it? Um, well, you know, a little padding of the tummy and a smug look like he knew something that we didn't. That sounds like my co-host. No, uh, what? (laughs) I've heard that about him. (laughs) Wait a second! Only in Princeton, Texas, they've been talking about. That's right. That's right. Michael. That's right. He is sufficiently saffonsified. I am sufficiently saffonsified. I love this expression, (laughs) Elizabeth. Yes, we can help you with this. We can. And the part that I love about it the most is obnoxious to my taste. What a construction that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this has been a popular expression in some circles for a while, especially I read in Canada. And you spell the word S-U-F-F-O-N-S-I-F-I-E-D, saffonsified. That's the way you usually see it. I've seen saffonsified and saffalsified. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's interesting. My grandmother, I, I figured this came through my grandfather's um, smart aleckness, but my grandmother was from Canada, so I wonder ah, if that's... Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we are, there, there's a couple places where this has been looked into with a, a little bit of satisfaction. I think they've done a, a fairly decent job of it, but it turns out that a lot of variations of this whole expression that you've given have existed since at least the mid-1800s. And you know what we're going to do, uh, Elizabeth? We're going to link to some articles about this. We'll put them on our website so that we can just share more information about it because the the extended forms of this, some of them are, are very convoluted, and some of the passages from the books are really striking in the in the way that um, the, the character kind of makes a fool of himself accidentally. It's just fun stuff. Very good. Well, thank you so much. This has been very enjoyable, and I appreciate your information. I, th- I think you're saying that your linguistic sufficiency has been saffonsified. I, I, I have been saffonsified. And we All are right. not obnoxious to your taste, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> thank you, Elizabeth. You bet. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, if you've got something like this that you'd like to talk about, just a little bit of goofing around is perfectly allowed. One eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send it along an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Jim Sheehan. How are you? Doing Good. well. How are you, Jim? I'm doing very well. I'm calling from Vernon, Connecticut. You're Vernon, in Vernon, Connecticut. Connecticut. All right. I am. Well, I have a kind of a question. It kind of goes back to my childhood. I remember my grandmother referring to the phrase stump jumper, Mm -hmm. and I am a native Vermonter, and I've uh, been referred to as a stump jumper, and I just wonder if I should be proud or offended. (laughs) Who's calling you that? 
Well, a couple people have throughout my life. Uh, some of them family members. In what kind of way do they say it? Do they say, Jim, you stump jumper? No, it wasn't said in any kind of a, a, a direct, you know, as an insult or anything. It was just uh, they, Vermonter, a.k.a. stump jumper. Aha, uh-huh. very mm-hmm. interesting. Well, do you have any idea what, what it might mean? Well, my grandmother, I do remember her mentioning when I was very little, probably five or six, she tried to explain it, and I, I don't recall uh, the whole thing. I remember there was something about Native Americans, and I don't remember much beyond that. A stump jumper it can go both ways. Sometimes it's nice. Sometimes it's mean. It's all about whether you're an insider or an outsider. Generally, it means a bumpkin or a rustic or a hillbilly, and um, I can trace it back in that usage about 100 years or so. Jim, do you think of yourself that way? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, not really. I've been in Connecticut a long time. So. <laughs> sometimes it just means a. Sometimes it just means a, a small farmer. You know, somebody who's got a lot of land that maybe they cleared for themselves, and maybe relatively recently, and they haven't pulled the stumps up. Where the pejorative or the derogatory part comes in, that there sometimes is an insinuation there that he's a bit lazy, and the reason he has to jump the stumps when he's plowing is because he was too lazy to go out there and yank them out. Uh huh. But the the term has been used to. A number of different ways over the years, and one of the, that really struck me, I found one use of this, of a, a telephone lineman, a man who climbs the poles to do stuff, sometimes called himself a stump jumper because he's actually climbing up oh, these yeah. you know, these big poles that used to be trees. Um, and I've seen a couple uses where a stump jumper is somebody who jumps from stump to stump on policies without ever settling on one. So oh. it's kind of a, the old-fashioned uh. flip-flopper. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah. in a political sense. Oh, wait, I in, didn't in, see in, that coming. In a, in a, <laughs> but it makes sense because you're giving a stump speech. Sure. But the, but oh, the more common stump jumper is uh, a type of plow, which I believe was invented in Australia in the late 1800s, which is literally a stump jumper where you don't have to clear the stumps out of your land, and it will work uh. around them or kind of work over them. And what it means is that you can clear land and get to farming right away without spending all this time with the, the ox you know, oh. pulling the stumps out or the dynamite even getting the stumps out. But that wouldn't apply to somebody in Vermont. I well, you know, that. The, 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 the thing is, like, it, it's not unheard of for a word to be coined more than once in different places. Yeah. So. Sure. But I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm just suggesting that there's another stump jumper out there that um, is interesting. I wonder if there are people in Vermont who proudly call themselves stump jumpers, you know? Like, I mean, my father's people call themselves hillbillies or hill people. And it was... Yeah. Well, know, I don't kind of... ever recall it having a bad hmm. connotation. I okay. Always... It just it was kind of a stump jumper, aka Vermonter, or the other way around. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that be, being taken as a, a self identification, where somebody's as proud of the fact that they're making a living from the hard earth. Yeah, you know, they, they work hard actually, in the yeah. field. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jim, well, thank you so much for calling. Well, I thank you, and uh, I'll be listening. Okay. Right, Thanks a lot. Thanks. Have a great day. All right. You too. Did somebody call you something and you're not sure whether it's an insult? Let us sort it out, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. A little later in the show, we'll be talking about Tom Swifties, those fabulous funny sentences that make great punny use of an adverb like, My bicycle wheel is damaged, Tom said outspokenly. (laughs) (laughs) How about this one, Grant? Can you guess this one? (laughs) We can't have this and eat it too, Tom said. (laughs) Um, uh, I don't know. Antoinette Nelly? <laughs> archaically. Oh, archaically. <laughs> Terrible ouch, stuff. Ouch, ouch, ouch. <laughs> well, there'll be more later in the show. The number is 1-877-929-9673 or send your questions to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Jackie. I'm in Dallas. Hiya, Jackie. Welcome Hi, to the program. Thanks. I'm calling about um, Hog Heaven. I walked into my house last week, and I looked around at my three cats. It was very cold, and they were all snuggled into very warm places, and I said to myself, these cats are in hog heaven. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, <laughs> it should really be called cat heaven. I mean, if you mm-hmm. could see them, you'd want to be comfortable as they are. So um, I just didn't know, like, why hog heaven? They just don't seem like particularly comfortable animals. You know, I, I've when I was a boy, 
we raised the odd hog here and there in out back of the house once in a while, and I have seen hogs, and they can look as contented as a cat. If you've ever seen them deep in a wallow with a trough full of acorns, or actually a belly full of acorns and just the right amount of sunlight, hogs... <laughs> They know how to relax. <laughs> they know how to settle down. <laughs> you don't want them rubbing up against your leg. But... No, no, no. They'll rub your skin raw in about two seconds. Yeah, but th- it's a good question, right? What? Mm. Why would it be hog heaven? Yeah, of all the things about comfort, why hogs? Great question, Jackie. I'm not sure that we know the answer to it besides the uh, idea of the alliteration there. I mean, it's very appealing. I mean, mm-hmm. hog heaven works better than what? Piggy paradise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, hog heaven works really well, right? Yeah, hog heaven. Um, I guess I could imagine myself in a mud pit with a with a few acorns kicking back. <laughs> <laughs> they love acorns. I mean, they really do. It's one of their favorite foods if they can get them. So it's good good eating for a hog. But you know, hog, I'm serious, Martha. You've you've seen hogs, right? They they really they're inc- like they grunt and they're contented and they squirm down into the mud and they. They just kind of lay there on their side. They'll lay there half the day, and um, they'll do all their business from a prone position if they can because they're perfectly content to <laughs> Wait a minute. Lay there. All their business from – what is this, the happy hogger? I'm not going to elaborate. I'm just saying <laughs> business, you know, in air quotes, kind of euphemistic there for all their different business. Yeah, but they now, do I like that, to lie around. I really think that it's no more complicated than that, Jackie. If you've ever seen a contented hog, they – humans can't get that contented. We're not capable of it. We're always fidgeting and squirming, and we're thinking about too much and trying to, you know, always looking for uh-huh. an advantage and the, the hog is like look i got mug and slop i'm all set you know and they just flop right down in it so i guess that lifestyle explains their uh, body shape <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah and also the, the human need for bacon Well, I wish we could have given you a more definitive answer, but um, I'm kind of liking these images that you two are conjuring. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. We should note for the record that there used to be a town called Hog Heaven Valley in Idaho, but uh, it's been since renamed. Yeah. And I don't know if it's pronounced Moscow or Moscow. Maybe our Idaho listeners can tell us. Well, if a word or phrase is stuck in your craw and you're wondering about it, give us a call, 1-877-929-9673, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Coming up, you have questions, we have answers. Stick around for more on Away With Words. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Recently on our show, our quiz guy, John Chinesky, gave us a little quiz involving Tom Swifties, those sentences that feature an adverb that's used in a funny way, like, uh, Pass the shellfish, Tom said crabbily. <laughs> or, I got the drain unclogged by using a vacuum cleaner, Tom said succinctly. <laughs> but, you know, Grant, one question that we left unanswered in that episode was, why are those things called Tom Swifties in the first place? Oh, And it's great. It turns out that the name refers to a series of books for young readers, sort of like the old Hardy Boys or Nancy mm-hmm. Drew series, that started in 1910. And it featured this bright young scientist named Tom Swift who comes up with cool inventions and solves problems using his scientific knowledge, sort of your proto-MacGyver, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the author who wrote many of those original books, Edward Stratemeyer, had what you might call an inordinate fondness for adverbs. I mean, he was one of those guys who just can't write the word said and leave it alone. You know, it had to be Tom said, comma, good-naturedly, or Tom said, comma, The hallmark of the great thinker, but the bad writer. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And those books were so packed with adverbs, those Tom Swift books, that people started making fun of them and coming up with bad puns involving adverbs. The classic one being, we must hurry, said Tom Swiftly. 
Ah, yes. And so then this there was sort of this cottage industry of And Tom's the industry hippies. keeps cottaging because It <laughs> does. It does. But I should say that like a lot of young men, I learned about Tom Swifties from Boys Life magazine. This is oh, the really? magazine of the, the Boy Scout Foundation of America. Oh, yes. no wonder I didn't and so know they, about those. For, I don't know if it's still there, but for years and years, they had a page of Tom Swifties. I did not know that. Yeah. Cool. What are some of your favorites? There were a lot of people talking on the discussion forum. Well, those are the ones that I wanted to share with you because okay. a lot of creative minds who listen to the show have chipped in on our forum to make a long list of these things. and. This is one of my favorites. I got the first three wrong, he said forthrightly. (laughs) (laughs) And this one requires that you see it, but I'm going to try it anyway. Mm, Tom murmured forensically, and the mm is four ends in a row. Oh, forensically. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, I should have given credit for those. I'm sorry. I don't have, didn't write it down here. But um, Glenn, who uh, is a um, heavy participant in our forum, he, he said this one. Charlatan, dissembler, mountebank, rogue, decried Tom euphoniously. <laughs> Just words that are fun to say. Euphoniously. Euphoniously. <laughs> <laughs> and then one more from Ron. Ron said, the prisoner is coming down the stairs, Tom said condescendingly. Oh, oh, nice. <laughs> for somebody nice. who doesn't care for puns, these just rock my world. Yeah, because cause like they've got the extra element in there. There's like sometimes there's a third and a fourth like thing to catch, right? It's not just the one thing. There's layers here. So yeah. Nice. yeah. Yeah. Well, I also like the ones that don't have an adverb. I, I don't know if there's a special word for this, but like oh, okay. I'm halfway up a mountain, Tom alleged. Ah, very nice. Or there's room for one more, Tom admitted. Or my favorite, <laughs> I'm wearing a ribbon around my arm, Tom said with abandon. <laughs> with abandon. <laughs> abandon. Terrible stuff. Give <laughs> me more. Awful. Give us more. <laughs> Call us 1-877-929-9673 or send those emails to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Reed calling from Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, Reed. Hello, Reed. Welcome to the program. Thank you. How can we help you? Well, even though I'm calling from where we have a lot of snow right now, I grew up in the south. I grew up in Louisiana. Ah. And spent some, I spent some time along the Gulf Coast parishes where I heard a word um, I haven't heard anywhere else. The word is gradu. Gradu. Hmm. Gradu. And I... We can spell it phonetically. I might try, but I'm sure I'd get it wrong if I tried to spell it in Cajun French. Uh, it, as I understood the use of the word in context, it would be something you would rather scrape off your shoe. Okay. okay. <laughs> so you'd say, I have gradu on my shoe? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, you might say, what kind of gradu did you just step into? Or, uh, uh-huh. okay. or Unknown uh, kind that, of schmutz. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Uh, that sounds like a bunch of gradu to me. Uh-huh. Okay, there we go. Okay, well, gee. Did you get this from English speakers or people who spoke uh, Cajun French and English, or who who, who was saying it? Um, it was by people who both spoke English and Cajun French. Okay, that's mm. good. That's a nice clue there. Well, I've got a, if you'll pardon me saying it, I've got a half-assed theory about it if you'd like to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just don't try to crawfish out of the deal, all right? <laughs> I will not do that. <laughs> to crawfish out of the deal? I've never it's heard that. Just scuttle sideways or something, right? <laughs> kind of worm oh. out of it, yeah. Oh, I never the crawfish, heard that. The crawfish used to back out of the deal. That's, that's oh, the way oh, the crawfish. Oh, 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 sure, sure. Right, they, they, uh, yeah, they crawl back into their hole, right? Oh, they, so crawfish is a verb? I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right, what do you have, Grant, on Gradu? Well, here's the theory, and the reason I asked about the Cajun French speakers is because I, I speculate that it is a corruption... And bear with me, of the French phrase grado, G-R-A-S-D apostrophe E-A-U. And mm. basically, it's a, there's a, I found one source which suggests that it's colloquially used, even though it's not the literal meaning of the phrase, too much water, or um, basically fat, fat, the fat of the water. Um, so it might be the water junk or the, you know, the flotsam, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of different ways it can go. The reason I, I call this a half-cocked theory is that I don't find anybody else who's espousing <laughs> this theory, and so little work has been done on the history of Gradu. I'm really surprised not to find it in some of the standard works of American English. I just don't see it there. Um, so that's my theory. We, we find it as early as the 1970s. It's probably older than that. It's definitely more widespread than... 
at this point than just the French-speaking parts of Louisiana, but it's not nationally known, and many people mm-hmm. are going to go, huh, when you use it, right? You probably get yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, puzzled looks, and what did you say? I like your idea that it would be the flotsam. That's a more general kind of a, you know, mm. something you'd just as soon do without kind of definition. Yeah. But it requires that you accept this um, colloquial interpretation of G-R-A-S, which just generally means fat. Um, Some sort of scum on the water. Yeah, kind of the scum of the water. But again, who knows why it now is referred to something that you find on the on this treaty issue. But but I, I do find mention of it in Paul Dixon's book, Family Words. He says that he has widespread reports of this, and he describes it as miscellaneous dirt, junk, small pieces of grit, etc., or the sludge at the bottom of wash water, or what's left oh. after melting snow for drinking water. So it really makes, I mean, that, that kind of reinforces the theory. Well, I'm a professional storyteller, and I've been fascinated with words all my life. And one of the things I really enjoyed about growing up in Louisiana and other parts of the South, I'm sure people are like this everywhere, but uh, it, it really caught my attention down there how people um, are known to be creative with uh, creating meanings using uh, sort of taking tangents off a of basic definition mm-hmm. or basic use of a word. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so if it we- was gra- grado or gradu, that would be uh, slop water from washing dishes or, or whatever. And it got to be, you know, spread around a little more, just so, basically something undesirable, something you'd rather scrape off your shoe or you would rather not step in. Uh, <laughs> Good description. <laughs> it, you know, all that would apply to, to my experience down there. Yeah, that's generally how the words change. And, and also, we are great innovators, uh, uh, human beings. We, we, we tend to take whatever we have at our disposal and modify it so that it will work for a new task. And we do the same thing with language. Well, read is probably a new word to a lot of people, so we appreciate your spreading around gradu. Sounds good. <laughs> I think. And I'll do the same for you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for calling, Reed. This is good stuff. A pleasure. I love your show. Keep it up. Thank Thanks you. a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'd love to hear your hometown expressions. Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seventy three, or send that crazy word to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello. Hi. This is Linda Logan calling you from Boonville, New York. Hello, Linda. Welcome. Hi, Linda. Hi. What's going on there in Boonville? <laughs> well, my grandmother, um, who was born in 1888, um, used an expression that perplexed me as a child. She used to say when I would ask her if she would come help me um, that she would be there directly. And I thought that meant immediately. (laughs) And I found out it meant I will be there when I get there. She was a very gentle, loving soul. I mean, there was nothing unkind or sarcastic about her, but I didn't understand the meaning of the word as she used it. Uh Uh-huh. And Linda, did you live in a different place from your grandmother? I did. She lived in Bowling Green, Kentucky, uh-huh. and as a child, I lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay, so she would come to visit. No, we'd go down to visit her. Oh, you'd go down to visit her, and uh-huh. then you'd hear a totally different use of directly. Uh huh. Hmm. So she would offer you that pie directly, right? <laughs> and you'd be all ready <laughs> with the fork and the napkin and all that. That's right. Uh huh. Yeah, my yeah. grandmother from from southeast Missouri, and she's been gone these two years. But she she had the same word, and I I think of her when I think of that word, just like you think of your grandmother. She would say, "Oh, really? I'll be along directly." And in uh-huh. and, and her speech, though, it meant soon enough, but not right away. Uh huh. And that's where you're kind of getting some discrepancy there, right? There's a couple different meanings. Right. And I have friends here. Uh, this is in upstate rural New York where I live. Um, I have friends here who remember their grandmothers using that word the same way. Mm-hmm. But what I would like to know is how did it come to change in meaning from meeting immediately to meaning presently? The best dictionary to look for this kind of thing when you know that there's some kind of regional component to it, of course, is the Dictionary of American Regional English. Did you check that one, Linda? I don't have that one. I looked it up in the American Heritage. Oh, um, the great, good dictionary, great dictionary, and, they, and yeah. they have a fairly decent coverage of some, some of the major dialect and regional forms. Mm-hmm. But they've a nice map in the Dictionary of American Regional English that shows a lot of little pinpoints right in Kentucky, because this is something that is from the South, generally. You'll find it in Arkansas and Kentucky and the Carolinas and a spot here and there in, in Texas and so on and so forth. My mother, my grandmother uh, was from southeast Missouri, which uh, has a, a lot of the southern components that you'd also find in, in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Um, mm-hmm. And as you say, the older 
meaning, which meant immediately and without delay, is the one that um, has kind of carried through alongside the newer meaning, which means soon. So there's a little bit of change there, and it's enough of a change that when you get these two uses of directly in the same community of speakers, it sows confusion. But, you know, maybe that's the goal. Uh, It's kind of like telling a child maybe, right? The child hears yes, and you hear no. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. um, Linda, do you use it that way? Well, no, I don't use the term. It was uh, in listening to your program a couple of weeks ago, um, all of a sudden the word came into my mind. Mm-hmm. And grandmother died a number of years ago, so I can't ask her any longer. Yeah. Um, what was the name of the dictionary, the American Dictionary of? Uh, it's the Dictionary of American Regional English, usually abbreviated as DARE. It's done out of the University of Wisconsin at Madison. And um, right. they're preparing their fifth and final volume now. It is... And I don't know anyone in the lexicographical fields who would argue with me. Um, one of the top three finest dictionaries in any language. Oh, wonderful. It's yeah, really fantastic. I would agree with that. And it's great bed table, <laughs> bedside table reading. I'm not kidding. I love mm-hmm. it. I love it. So you'll find that kind of thing. Directly is, is really handy the way, that it, um, the way that your grandmother used it, right? Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Later. Yeah. Well, she as I said, she was very gentle, and she was a very genteel and gracious lady. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It just left me confused, being a child who was growing up in the North, as to exactly what grandmother meant, and maybe she'd be along a half hour later. <laughs> it sounds like a woman of class. Well, she was. She really was. She was quite elegant, quite, quite lovely, and quite loving, and well, I missed her. Mm-hmm. Oh, Linda, thank yeah. you for sharing all that with us. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, we appreciate your calling, Linda. Thank you. you. Best of luck to you, Linda. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, share your linguistic heirlooms with us. The number is 1-877-929-9673. We'd love to hear them. You can also email us, words at waywardradio.org. More Tom Swifties, Martha. Can't leave these alone. No, go ahead. (laughs) This is one of my favorites. Archie, we need to talk, said Veronica expectantly. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what she's expecting. Very (sighs) nice. Send your Tom Swifties and your language questions and your grammar advice to words at waywardradio.org or give us a call, 1-877-929-9673. Yes, we take advice as well as give it. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Jay from Kokomo, Indiana. Hello, Jay from Hi, Kokomo. Jay. How are you doing? Well, I have a kind of a nickname my mom used to use when I was little. Sometimes she would call me Snicklefritz, and uh, it's something I never thought much about over the years. Um, she would call my children that, you know, uh, her grandkids sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, I've uh, my first wife passed away about ten years ago. I've since remarried. Now I have an eleven-year-old stepson. And I've started using that term to, for him. Um, and uh, recently we were in a German cafe where they have a lot of gifts and stuff. And on, on the wall there was a poster that had um, different German kind of caricatures, cartoon characters. And beside one of them was the name Snicklefritz. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And um, then I was driving not long ago to one of my older sons, plays college basketball, driving to one of his games, listening to your show. So I thought, well, I'll call in and see if you guys can help me figure out where the term Snicklefritz came from or what it might mean. So your mother used this. Did she use it on you when you were a child or an adult or both? Uh, just as a child. Mm-hmm. Okay. And okay. sometimes, you know, if I'd go over to like take my kids when they were little over to my mom and dad's, you know, she might say, well, why don't you just sit down and eat and I'll take Snicklefritz here out in the yard and play or, you know, referring <laughs> to my kids. Yeah. Are you are you of German heritage? Was your mother a German speaker? Uh, my mom, well, my mom was adopted, um, so we don't know a lot about her heritage, but what I do know, I think, is mostly um, like Welsh and Irish. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Now, on my dad's side, there's a lot of German. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, a, this is a pet name. It does come from German. You're spot on with that, and um, it's used to, to describe a, a little boy, particularly one who's up to no good. It's, it's, a, it's a term of affection. It's not meant to be um, offensive or an insult or anything, and I think it's completely appropriate that you use it, except, yeah. except is that when you break it down etymologically, it comes from a German dialect word for, pardon me, little boy's penis, plus the common name Fritz. Really? 
<laughs> yes, <Yeah>, schnickel. <laughs> schnickel is a German dialect word meaning little boy's penis. And okay. Now, <laughs> all right, and the thing is, you're like, whoa, wait a second, what have I been saying all these? What was my mother calling me? <laughs> but, well, you know, it, 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 it always struck me as a term of endearment, you know, yeah. that's the way I've always yes. taken it. Sort of yes. like little rascal or something, and it, right? And the thing is, words become transformed when they join other words. So schnickel plus fritz doesn't necessarily mean anything naughty, and it becomes a term of affection. And frankly, yeah. if you look at pet names in all the languages of the world, this is like tame and mild compared to what happens in some other languages. And I won't go yeah. into them because we can't say them on the radio. But <laughs> what's really interesting to me is that you have it in your vocabulary. You learned it from your mother who wasn't a German heritage, which just shows that this word was adopted very well into English. And we find that it uh, appears in Nebraska and California mm-hmm. and Illinois yeah, and Wisconsin places, and Pennsylvania yeah. and here and there. So, Well, I like it. Well, I do too. I, and I like to tease my stepson, and that's just something, you know, I use that term once in a while and just calling mm-hmm. Snipple Fritz, and he's not offended by it at all. Excellent. So you'll keep using it, Jay? Oh, yes, yes. Excellent. Just don't tell him, no. Yeah. <laughs> He'll hear. He'll hear it. <laughs> yeah, someday. <laughs> Thank you for it's calling, It's a secret Jay. you can okay. tell him when he turns 18 or something. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for your help. Right, okay. Bye-bye. Sure thing. Bye-bye. What do you call your loved ones? What are your pet names? Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send them an email to words at waywardradio.org. That's our show for this week. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message anytime. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. You can stay in touch with us all week on Twitter. We're there under the username Wayward. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. We've had production help this week from Josette Herdell and Jennifer Powell. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And from San Francisco, I'm Grant Barrett. Thanks to Howard Gelman for engineering our show from the studios of KQED Radio. Sayonara. Bye-bye. If we call the whole thing off, then we must part. And oh, if we ever part, then that might break my heart. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. Hi, it's Martha. Did you know that Away With Words is independently produced by a small nonprofit? To keep bringing you the show, we need your help. We welcome your contributions of any size. Go to waywardradio.org, click on Membership. Your donations do add up, and they make this program possible. Thanks.